right, what's going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell this Friday. Hot route, hot route. Yes, hot route. Cody Kessler, my man, got to get rid of the football. If you don't, he just got blindsided by the defensive end who came unblocked. The reason he was unblocked, the he was hot. Two middle linebackers come. You have empty protection. You got to get rid of it. Right. Didn't throw it out of there. So he is uh, concussed, comes out of that game. Be interesting to see if he comes back. I am struggling a little bit this morning. Uh. But not as bad as those buttons on your shirt. Hey. Oh! <laughs> Wait, let's we see. Got, yeah, yeah, there's a little. They're there's struggling. A little they got a battle today. There's holding on to hold on to the shirt. I got like right. no socks on today. This was like. Oh, as, I'm casual um, Friday. I got shorts on in case you were wondering. <laughs> it's hot out outside. Uh, we got a monster show. Our boy Emery Hunt's going to join us in about five minutes uh, to help us break down some of the NFL preseason. Boogie Cousins. Can't wait to get your thoughts on that. And we're going to do a little Ask Us Anything. We had some pretty good response on Twitter. Uh, if you want to go leave us a five-star review, do that. You can leave comments, Ask Us Anything in there. A little bit hard. I was trying to go look at our reviews. Right. I couldn't even find them, so it's a little bit complicated. Maybe Stay it's, out of I mean, our mentions, dog. Yeah, oh, right. Man, I told you. Um, have you ever heard of a fishing injury? Sure. You have? Absolutely, dude. Well, like what? Well, I mean, you get hooked, you get snagged by like yeah, a lure, you get hooked in the ear. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you not could strain like your forearm or something yeah. like that. Have you ever seen grouper? something like this? Uh, let's see. I'll just show you a little that. picture from my fishing excursion. It's a little bit upside down there. You see that fried egg? It looks con- like a massive a contusion. My- that, is a, that is a contusion on my left lower extremity you right hit there. hit it on the side of the boat? No, so it was like the first fish we had on. Yeah. They're like, Danny, come here. You got to get this. Right. So I like jump up and I hit one of the benches really hard. Like I was running <laughs> up to the butt. That thing swelled up. The last time I had had something like that was in baseball. I took a grounder and took a baseball like on a bad hop off the shin and it just balloons. Crazy thing about it, it's not even that much of a bruise today. Like it didn't even bruise that. It just kind of swelled up and then it went away. It was no big deal. Yeah, My I, daughters were freaking out. They're like, should we go to the hospital? It's huge. I'm like, no, that'd be all right. Oh, my goodness, bro. You, are you like, sure that was a fishing trip, or were you guys on a boat ride and you threw a rod into <laughs> no, water? No, 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 no. It was a fishing right. trip. It was full on. Uh, just like last night, the NFL preseason was underway. underway. Uh, there was some interesting developments. One of the things that is driving me nuts is the reaction that the NFL had to the Saints-Rams game yeah. with the pass interference, implementing new rules now where you will have pass interference under review. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's going to slow down the game. And most importantly, you're still going to struggle getting it right, which right. is what happened last night. We saw, instance, Jay Gruden of the Washington Redskins. They challenged a play that was called offensive pass interference, and it was one of the worst calls I have ever seen as far as the reaction from the receivers coming back to get the ball. See, I mean, right. he's coming back. The DB is not defending the ball. Yes. He is looking at the receiver, gets all up in his grill. If anything, this is defensive pass interference. Wasn't reversed? No. They upheld the call of offensive pass interference, which, again, goes to my point. This is going to slow down games, and they're still not going to get it right. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean – Look, the intent, like I'm all for you trying to get things right. correct, but if you can't look at that right. and make the determination that that's defensive pass interference, which it clearly is, yep. reverse the call, then what are we doing? Right. Like, it's why are stupid. We here? All right, so let me tell you another thing that's going to bother me. So Doug Peterson won a pass interference review right. for the Philadelphia Eagles, and the issue I have with this one is it is a call that is correct, but it's really making things unfair on the defensive back. So watch this play by the defensive back. 
right there looks awesome, right? You have his hand but, on him. But look how subtle it is. It's so subtle. Now, if the ref calls that on the field, I'm okay with it. If he saw that slight, slight tug of the jersey, right. then I'm okay if you call it on the field. But going back and looking at every single one of these, well, this is almost, really nitpicking. If you're the offense and there's ever a ball in the end zone, every time I'm, I'm throwing the flag. Well, see, that's Because you're always going to see something on super slow-mo review. Exactly. If you're going letter of the law that would give you the... Uh, the and I'm an offensive guy. You know, Hey, if I'm a quarterback, I love it. You're going to yeah. get a lot of calls. But it's really unfair to defensive backs, especially like that was perfectly played. And there is an art form to keeping that offhand, whether it's on the hip. Now, he did grab a piece of the jersey, so it's a little bit more sure. uh, egregious. But still, it's going to be really unfair to the defense. And I guess that's what the NFL wants. They've wanted more offense. They've given us more offense. That's tough. Maybe they're doing it, but that is a brutal situation. Uh, I'm probably, did you see any Kyler Murray last night? I didn't. By the time I got home, the only game that was on was, uh, it was that game, but it was late in the Yeah, it was late. He was already pulled because they already do. Uh, my man has had a little bit of a struggle. Um, he's going to be a quarterback that a lot of us watch and Cliff Kingsbury. So they're both starting to take some heat. Because of their lack of success early in this preseason, yeah, I think it's sort of like he when played we, one series in the in, in the, the first, first game. game. He was but like, and now they had six. right first game, but it was only for like thirty yards. They didn't really score. They didn't do much. And he was right. okay. Now the drives are starting to mount a little bit where they haven't scored yet. They've had a lot of you know sloppy play. A penalty's not on Kyler Murray, that's right. not on a Cliff Kingsbury, but it's just been a little bit sloppy. Right. Um, they've had a lot of three and outs. A lot of just. You know, it hasn't been very impressive to say the least. Okay. Here's where I think we do with the preseason. We get like when we see Daniel Jones, we go, Oh my gosh, look at him, he's great. Is yeah. he gonna challenge Eli Manning for the starting job? And now everybody's like, Oh, panic time with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, they're not gonna be any good. That's why I hate the preseason. I don't even like watching it because I find myself falling victim to that too. Like sure. oh boy, here we go. Cliff Kingsbury is not showing anything. Because he's got this air raid offense, he doesn't want to unveil it so that every defensive coordinator they're going to play in the first four weeks of the season it's a is going to have it on film. So right. he's like, you know what? I'm running the most basic things that everybody in the NFL does. I do think Kyler is somebody who needs those reps, though, which I think is a little bit cause for concern. And I don't know if you saw, there was something that was kind of concerning. There was a picture of Kyler Murray next to Cliff Kingsbury. Did you meet him at the Super Bowl, Kyler? No. Man, he is tiny. Look, right. Cliff Kingsbury is about my size. Yeah. Look how small Kyler Murray Does that concern you at all? Yeah, they put a little Number bit. One, I'm I not, know. Uh, no, I'm I not know concerned. they did. I am not concerned with that. And I am not concerned. He looks like he's 14. He, he's a little, he's a, he's <laughs> he looks a, he's tiny. smaller uh, quarterback. Here's Well, and I, I'm rooting for him. Hopefully he changes the game and it doesn't because height doesn't matter. It really doesn't. We've seen other quarterbacks do it, but he just looks really small. I've never been. Look, I'll tell you my story. I went out in a preseason game, second year in the NBA. It was like my first real preseason that I got to play in um, with the Hawks I just kind of watched. So I go out. Um, I play Michael Jordan and in um, at Penn State. He was with the Wizards. I dropped 21. And I was like, oh, it is on. Right. I have arrived, sir. This is going to be me taking the NBA by storm. I got in a regular season game. Couldn't even make an entry pass into the post. They sat me down the entire year. I barely played. Right. Like, they're just not the same. So, from there, I've learned, like, look, preseason, you can't really put any stock in it. No. There's certain but things we always do. Yeah, I mean, that's what, it's our job, right? You and, always and you've do. been thirsting for football so long now, if you're, if you're an NFL fan, 
that you're hanging on the edge of your seat for any little bit you get in your I I am exhibit A yeah. or why you shouldn't buy into preseason. I had really good preseasons. Like I would tear it up out there, right. especially later in my career because I knew more than the defense. Like I you started to recognize things and I'm sitting there throwing like, you know, I was 70% completion percentage, yeah. a couple touchdowns, and I'd be sitting on the sideline like, yeah, this is awesome. It is such a different speed. Not only the schemes, but the speed. Guys really don't try as hard, especially starters. Now, you get some backups that are trying hard, but they're not the top-tier guys. Right. It's just a totally different animal. I do think, though, when you're watching them, like I, when I watched the first their first game and I saw Kyler play in that game, it was clear that they were just getting out of his hand real fast. Like, just thinking, yeah. okay, it's fine. Yeah, screens, a little yeah, underneath. It's fine. Um, the the um, offensive penalties, you know, the false starts, the miscommunication and stuff like that. While it's not on Kyler, I do think that's a reflection on your coach. Yes. Right? And, you know, I'm not in there. I can't talk about his schemes and stuff like that because that's not my forte. But I can talk about, you know, discipline, yep. um, having guys on the same page. Uh, and, and those are concerning signs for me. So if you don't see those rectified in the third preseason game, then I do start to wonder about whether a coach has control um, – you know, of the program and, sure. and, and getting them where he wants them to go. And you know what happens? Sometimes it's human nature. When you go in as a team and your coach is telling you, hey, we're not showing our best stuff. Yeah. Sometimes you mentally say, all right, we're not going to give our best. Yeah, that's stuff. true. You know, like, hey, oh, we're not, we're not going to go out there to win. Right. All right, then we're just going to show up. And that's what it looked like it happened there. And you see some of the first uh, drives from Kyler Murray's first performance is not exactly impressive. Something to write about. You were right. The first drive, 10 plays, 33 yards. Uh, but still not any points to show for yet from Arizona. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, I-, I was really curious to see how he would respond. His first preseason game struggled somewhat. Mm-hmm. And again, wasn't taking a whole lot. It's a rookie. It's normal. But I was curious to see, could he bounce back? And he started to show a little bit more signs of, oh, okay, this is why the Redskins drafted him. Yeah. This is why people were so high on him. Had a beautiful throw under pressure through a touchdown pass. Uh, this one right here, as he's getting a guy hanging on his body. A big boy throw. Yeah, exactly. Right up the seam, hit perfectly in stride, trusted the offense, trusted the play call. And uh, you got to see him celebrate some, which was pretty cool, and Jay Gruden's response too. But just a, a real nice back foot in the pocket. I don't care what's coming around me. Defenders flying around my feet. Right. Plant my foot and throw it. And then he had a couple other ones where this is the unfortunate part about playing the preseason too as a quarterback. You start playing with backup offensive linemen yeah. and you just start getting teed off on. So <laughs> nothing he could have done there as he had a dude hanging all over him. But a pretty I thought it was it wasn't a great performance, but it was all right, he could do this. So you know? it's it's a it's a totally it's part of the growth process for rookie QBs, I would imagine, right? It is yep. it's part of the growth process for a rookie player. Like you're gonna have good moments and you're gonna have bad moments. And the question is um, whether you see enough good to warrant why you picked them. And I do think with Dwayne, some of the throws that he's made, like warrant, like what you, what you went out and, and, and spent on him. Can yep. you dig what I'm saying? Oh, now, for th- sure. Now everyone has to be developed. Yep. So you get him in there and some of the, you know, the bad stuff and the mistakes, you, you're hoping that you can clean those up with him, but he's shown you enough in terms of stepping up and ripping to know. And again, I'll say this again. I said it last week when I watched him play. Him and Daniel Jones, because I didn't see Daniel Jones' game, but I went back and saw the film on it. Yep. Both of those two seem to be pushing it further down the field than most of the other young quarterbacks. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yep. they're making throws. These other guys are just kind of getting it out. Yeah. Daniel Jones got it out a few times, but yep. then he threw some 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 like pro balls. Yep. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I think that's interesting. And I think it's them. They want to test these guys to see if they are ready to possibly play earlier, and they're a little bit more willing to open up the playbook. Some of the guys that are playing later in the game, they're probably worried about the offensive line. Let's right. get it out quick so you play a little bit more close to the vest. Lamar Jackson, even though he's not a rookie in his second year, is a quarterback that I've kind of pegged as, oh, man, I want to see how much he develops as a passer. 
But man, when you see some of the plays that he makes, you're like, oh my goodness. He, maybe he is that next Mike Vick uh, type of player right. who can do both, which yeah. I think he absolutely can do both. I do think he needs to improve as a passer, and clearly they want him to. Um, and you're seeing the Ravens still put him in pretty good spots. He's making some short, easy throws. Everyone should make those. But then again, when he starts to scramble, you're thinking, oh my goodness, this kid is electric. He is lightning in a bottle. But it's good to see him actually dropping back, making some plays. And of course, this is a scramble uh, that hey. I was referencing. I and mean, this is stuff he was doing in college. Hey. Just, like, this is. This is Xbox. That's I mean, Xbox. he's looked like just stiff arm. That's X circle. Over, X circle. R two R one. Yes, and I've had a lot of criticism from other uh, pundits, you know, and, uh, and expert types. Yeah. Because when he was at college, I was like, he has speed that will translate. You know, like Baker Mayfield ran some in college. I'm like, yep. he's not going to be running away from guys. Lamar can run away from guys in the NFL. Yeah. And that is a skill set that you don't see very often. Mike Vick was one of them. Um, Steve Young kind of had it somewhat. He wasn't that fast, but he was elusive. Yeah. Lamar Jackson is lightning in a bottle. He is terrifying. That's why I don't think he has to be, you know, Drew Brees and be able to be a 70% completion guy. He has to be just an adequate, decent passer because defenses are going to have to have probably a, at least one defender spying him. Yep. And everybody's going to have to keep an eye on him saying, uh-oh, if he scrambles, we are screwed. Right. And we better make sure we get up there. So just that slight hesitation We'll give him some opportunities, some opportunities where to... guys will get more open. I think you're hoping if you're if you're Baltimore, or like right now in the progression of him as a quarterback, you know he's not a prolific passer, right? Right. But you're hoping obviously that he continues to grow in that regard. So now you know he's a kind of a hybrid. Like you don't put too much on his plate in terms of his arm, but you don't run him to where you you hurt him. You find a nice balance to where your team can be successful, and you hope that year after year or rep after rep he grows, and so that by maybe year three. You know, you've got a guy that can be more 75% pocket passer, 25%. If you make a mistake, I'll beat you with my legs. You yep. know what I mean? Like, but right now, you know, clearly he's still a work in progress from the pocket, but I agree with you, man. He's electric when he gets out I, there in open space. I think the biggest concern for me is if he's running like that and you get hit once. No, you know, no, like no. how, yes. like, and that would be my concern where it's a fine line. You just kind of hold your breath because it's fun to watch and he can make those type of plays. And just kind of cross your fingers. And he does have the perfect offensive coordinator, Gray Roman, who they brought in, took Colin Kaepernick to the Super Bowl with the 49ers. So yeah. he's had a quarterback. And, and Lamar Jackson is a better runner than Colin Kaepernick right. was. And so he'll have an offensive coordinator a little more open-minded, will develop plays just for his You know what? Set. Like, I, And not to compare. Like I would use my son as an example. But yeah. I mean, obviously he's not any of them. But for his age, like he he plays a lot like that, where he can beat you with his arm. But – Man, if he gets in space, it's a problem. And he scores a lot of touchdowns just when the pocket collapses. He's out and like linebackers don't catch him, right? It's a gift and a curse. And I talked to him about this too. Because you're so gifted with the ball in your hand in space that you always feel like you're one missed tackle away from a touchdown. Right. But I got to tell him, like, dog, like, sometimes you got to get down. Yep. You know what I mean? And so I see that sometimes with Lamar. Totally. Maybe even Mike Vick. Like, look, you've got your team 20 yards, 25. And while that next 15 is a touchdown – Bro, it's not worth the risk of getting torn up and, and being out for the season because somebody tagged you, you know? So right. get what you can get and then get down. Like, gash them and then get down if you can. You know what was funny? Whenever I hear this topic and people are like, oh, well, they have to learn how to throw. I was the opposite. Yeah. I stood in the pocket too much. Like, I, and I no one, and I wish somebody would have said or taught me from a younger age when I was playing in high school or even at Florida State. Hey, it's okay to run. You know, like I was always like, I was always chug. If I got pressure, I was going to throw it. And I wasn't a great runner, but you don't have to be four, four speed. You just have to be able to move a little bit and get it, get yourself out of a sack and back to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Get five yards and then you're in a better position. I was kind of the flip side of these guys. 
All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. Uh, we got him up. We got the connection fixed. Skillet. Our man Emery Hunt is going to join us now. Uh, what's up, man? Hope you had a good offseason. Good to have you back. I appreciate you guys having me on, as always. I've been following Rajah Bell on Twitter. <laughs> well, you might not be careful, though, because it's the wrong one. There are a bunch of fake accounts of uh, our, our boy Rajah right now. Uh, we were just talking about Lamar Jackson, the performance he had with his legs. His throwing is something that the Ravens are trying to improve on, and they're going to have to open up the offense. But his MVP odds, interestingly, jumped from 100 to 50 to 1. Are you buying Lamar Jackson's stock right now? Definitely buying his stock because of what you all laid out. We know his running ability is what it is, but people forget he won the Heisman Trophy at Louisville under a pro-style head coach and uh, Bobby Petrino playing in the ACC consistent week in, week out. I'm not going to be shocked when he throws for over 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns in addition to rushing for over 1,000 yards and about 10 to 12 touchdowns. So, yes, I am buying his stock as an MVP. Well, we, I like to hear that. All right, let me ask you about Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. Both of their um, odds to win MVP jump from 200 to 1 uh, to 50 to 1. What do you attribute that to? I think it's because of the team around them. They're looking at the defense and looking at these guys getting put in advantageous situations and being able to convert. So playing winning football could also attribute to a quarterback winning uh, MVP. If there was a non-quarterback that you would take, uh, we haven't had a non-QB win since 2012. Who would it be? Saquon Barkley, and you'll get to see a lot of it why this upcoming season, because of the fact they don't have the threats downfield in a passing game. So you're going to see a lot of Saquon Barkley. He has the wiggle to make you miss. He also has the speed to break long runs. I think he's going to get over 1,400 yards rushing this year and about 700 yards receiving. So it's going to be the total team effort by Saquon Barkley and a big reason why he could potentially be an MVP candidate. Okay, um, so let me ask you specifically about a team. We got the Browns. Yep. They are a polarizing Nine. type of team. Yep. Nine wins is the Vegas win total. You going over or under on the Browns? A lot of people jumped on them early. Where are you now? I'm going over. I think this is a 10-win team at worst. And if they don't average 35 to 40 points a game, I'm going to be highly upset. But I do think 10 wins is, is a good number for the Browns. All right, perfect. Good stuff, man. Hopefully people get some of those futures bets in now and make some money off our guy, Emery Hunt. Next week, we'll get you back on. We'll have a little more time when we get that connection fixed up. Welcome back, Emery. Yeah, man. Good to have you back. Thanks, guys. All right, good stuff. Uh, We were having the news in 90 just before Emery joined us. We saw the video of Boogie Cousins, uh, the workout that he had. That's you surprised he was at that gym? Like no. I was surprised at some of the dudes he was playing with. Like I don't know, a couple dudes look like high schoolers, maybe just some weekend warriors he was playing with. I that surprising or no? I couldn't really tell. I think yeah. most of those guys are player, probably legit. Were, were were bench guys that we don't know, or yeah, you know, guys that play in Europe and stuff like that, which isn't unheard of for pros to be playing with that level of a player, even college guys. Yep. You know, when I when I lived here in Miami. You know, we'd go to University of Miami and play, and, you know, it'd be me and Chris Bosch, Carlos Boozer, Carlos Arroyo, and whatever other pro was in town, and you play with the Miami kids. So that's not unheard of. Um, are the guys a little in, – in that scenario, Yeah. if somebody's coming through the lane, are they a little more lenient, like, hey, that's an NBA player, I don't want to go up and try to be a hero and block him, or is it pretty physical sometimes? Well, the risk you run when you're when you start dropping in, like, guys that are – playing in Europe um, that want to be in the NBA or guys in the G League or, or even college players um, is a guy trying to make a statement. You know what I mean? Like when you're playing against them. Generally, when you're playing against other NBA guys in the summer, there's an understanding of like, look, we want to get through this healthy. This is a workout. We want to sh- sharpen up our skill set. Uh, but at the end of the day, everyone wants to go home healthy. I'm not saying that that wasn't the case here, but 
I have been in instances where I'm playing college kids who aspire to do what you're doing, mm-hmm. and they're trying to use that as, you know, I would have done it when I was in college. Shoot, if, if Glenn Rice was playing in the gym with me, I was trying to bust his tail right. just because I, I wanted to be him, you know? So, you know, that's the risk you run, and that happens from time to time when you drop in other guys that aren't NBA players. And even now, more so when everybody knows their cell phone videos, watching everything. If you sure. get a block or you get or a big don't. stop, yeah, yeah. yeah, all of a sudden it's going to go viral, right. so they want to do that. Uh, as it relates to Boogie Cousins, devastating injury. He's a, we had yesterday, we, the other day, we talked about the laundry list, oh. the issues that have been cropping up, the Achilles, the quad strain last year. He's 29 years old. It's a wrap. Really? Yeah. Done. Nah, I mean, like, not done where he'll never play basketball again, but, you know, the tra- far as Max Diaz. Yeah, that's Superman, done. Yeah. That, that ship sailed. The, and that's a shame. I feel terrible saying it, but the trajectory of where he was going, like, what, I asked Joey off air. I don't know that there's ever been a case or a player that was as close to that, like, proverbial pot of gold as he was. I mean, the numbers that he was available, that were available to him were upwards of 200 million, um, in Sacramento if he didn't get traded and he got traded midway through that season. Uh, and then a five year, $170 million deal last year he would have probably signed with, with New Orleans if he doesn't tear his Achilles. You were games away from both of those. And it's now all falling apart. Like he took five and a half last year, which is nothing to frown at. Like I'd love five and a half million dollars. Right. But like a guy like that who was a max player, like that's, I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow. And I do believe that ship has sailed. Danny, you don't recover from an Achilles and, and become the same player you were prior to the injury. Right. Yeah. That's by itself. Then you, you tear a quad. He could be better after an Achilles because he wasn't an above the rim, fast twitch type of player to begin with. So if he comes back, at 85%, you probably don't see the 15% difference as much as you would on a high-flying type of player. Yeah. But then you tear the quad, and then you tear the ACL, and the rehab is grueling and all of, of the physical, but man, just being out of like real competitive basketball off and on for two and a half years like that, I mean, it's hard to recapture that timing, all the things that made you who you were. I, I, I think he's a different player. Yeah, it's going to be devastating. The, the, the player I was thinking of, and we've talked about him a bunch on here was Isaiah Thomas, but yeah. even Isaiah Thomas, there was much, there wasn't a certainty. Like there was still no. a man, he's short. Yeah. Was that a one hit wonder type of deal? Correct. He seemed more of a sure thing to get that big payday if he just stayed healthy. Unfortunately, he couldn't. You brought up the Achilles injury. Uh, and as it relates to his future, Kevin Durant obviously is having the Achilles injuries, having it, um, he's undergoing the rehab right now. I mean, one of the things that Boogie did was try to come back and I, maybe that was why he wasn't a hundred percent. Remember how long I told you Kevin Durant should be out with that Achilles? Do you remember what I said? Year and a half. Is that what you said? That's what I said. Yeah. I, that's a two year injury. Yeah. Now you can come back in a year, but you're going to be limping. Boogie was terrible last year. And I, I say this affectionately, right? Like not as not, he just couldn't move. It wasn't his fault. His skills were there. His mind was still sharp, but you could see he was dragging a leg up and down the court and, and partly out of necessity. Golden State needed him. And quite frankly, he wanted to come back and get paid. So, you know, every, it, it all led to boogie playing, but he was moving awful. And I think you're being like naive if you don't see the correlation between him dragging his leg, that kinetic chain, and the possibility that that affected the quad and it blew the quad, yep. and how all of that leads up to potentially overcompensation and then tearing an ACL. Could be coincidence and freak accidents. I don't know. But I know if I'm Kevin Durant and I've already locked up that bag and I do want to become the best player on the planet again potentially, I am not coming back in one year. Talk to me in 18 to 19 months. Right. Let me heal. I wonder, and I, my guess would be no, because he had made so much financially. He's made $80 million in his career. If at any point, and it's hard to do it after you've had an injury, but maybe in his last year with the Pelicans, if he bought, took out any type of insurance, whether it was loss of value, catastrophic injury, whatever it was, 
because that payday was an option and he was taking some of these shorter term deals, there are these companies that are out there. Sure. I and mean, when I was a starter on the Giants and making league minimum, I, think I was making like 300,000 and was yeah. a starting quarterback in the Giants. And my agent, it was really a smart move. He's like, why don't you call and I called Lloyd's of London, Lloyd's of London had a, you know, a, a policy and it was expensive. I mean, I think it was like, for every million, I think it was twenty grand. And I think I got out like two million, just yeah. to make sure that I would have some sort of payday if I got hurt. And I remember kind of being irritated, like, man, forty grand, I got to cut a check for that much. Yeah. But if I would have gotten hurt, I would have had two million come on my way, sure. and I ended up getting a nice contract where yeah. I did get the money. But I just wonder if some of these guys have these policies in place because sometimes you're thinking, oh, I got eighty million in the bank, why do I need? Right. And now you're looking at it saying, man, if you would have protected yourself a little bit, well. It's, it's a tough, like, this is a, a whole nother conversation. We talk about athletes and I, and I, Boogie is a philanthropic, like, from all accounts, like, he's had his issues. He can be prickly with the media, but he's got a great heart, you know? Like, he's out there doing in his community, doing for others. And, um, uh, like, sometimes you, if you know, like, if you're conditioned in the NBA, like I was to be like a grinder, like, scrap for everything I get, like, I didn't take my money for granted. Not saying that he does, but it was, I knew who I was. So, I, like, I was, going to be a journeyman like i was going to try to put away what i could put away and i lived that way do you, you know yeah. what i mean like if you come into the league as like a number two pick and you're a perennial like all nba first or second teamer and it's just a foregone conclusion that in you know when the contract is up you're getting the max deal sometimes you can start living like that before you get the max deal and if you're living like that before you get the max deal and you know catastrophe happens you know like you got to be really careful, man. So I hope for Boogie because I think he's a good dude. I, I, he's so, so gifted as a player. This sucks. You know, I hope he can recalibrate and understand now that what you're going to make versus, you know, what you could have made, you know, are two different animals and they're going to afford you two completely different lifestyles. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Raj, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think he definitely doesn't get the credit that he probably should because he doesn't publicize the, the stuff he does for the community. He, right. In 2017, he won the Community Assist Award in the NBA. I don't think anybody knows that about him. And then the other thing I think that's sad is just, it. like, I agree with you. I think this is probably it. Like, even if he can come back, I don't know who's going to want. He couldn't get a deal this offseason. He took a right. minimum. So I think people, I hope that people can just sort of appreciate how talented he actually was. And I feel bad that he's never going to get the opportunity to change the narrative of what his career was. Because in New Orleans in that last year, he was Ballin and they were going to be, they were a playoff team, but they were on us. They won seven out of eight before he tore his Achilles. It looked like him and AD were going to be a force in the league. And now he'll never get the real opportunity to change around the narrative that he's a bad teammate or he's a, or he's this or he's that. It's just, it's unfortunate. Well, it is unfortunate. And, you know, look, I'm not saying that he, he, he doesn't deserve some of the responsibility for the dysfunction that was Sacramento, but you take any like young 18 year old and you drop him in a dysfunctional family like that. And there is a possibility that it, he's not going to be the best version of himself. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's, that's what happened. And I'm not even saying he wasn't the best version. He just was in the news for, for silly stuff. They like to report that. But I mean, Sacramento in and of itself as an organization was pure dysfunction and Boogie still was one of the best pigs in the game. And I, I agree with Joey. Like when you talk about the way the big position is played now, when you go to these EYBLs and, and Adidas gauntlets and all of that, and you see the way the Isaiah Todds, who are, you know, big centerish type of players play, that's, that's Boogie Cousins, man. He was as skilled, you know, as a big, uh, facing the basket, facing the basket as, as there may have ever been. You know, a lot of these guys did it with their back to the basket and they had good skills with their, but this guy was super skilled at the big. And it is unfortunate, you know, that the career becomes derailed like that. And, 
you know, quite frankly, I don't even know what his legacy becomes. Right. You know what I mean? Lakers win total dropped from 53 to 52.3. Only like 0.7 games less. Do you think is that because it seems very minimal? Is yeah. About what you would assess? I mean, look, he wasn't going to be the nuts and bolts of what they did, but I do think he meant more to the Lakers' chances. I argued this with Joey before also. I think he means more to the Lakers than, than half a win or, you know, seven right. tenths of a win. I, I, I think Boogie was going to provide, I, first of all, I think he was going to be a lot better than he was last year. Yeah. Like just, you know, that again, that Achilles injury, the rehab on it, you're going to look way better in year two than you did in year one, even better in year three, provided you're young enough than you did in year two. And so I thought he was going to come out and surprise some people and be a real, um, a real factor for them, especially when you've, you know, you, you look at that lineup and in terms of bigs, you've got JaVale McGee and JaVale McGee. Like you know That's what I mean? Yeah. Like you 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 don't have any support other than that. And I thought he was going to have to play a big role because Javale McGee can be up and down. He's hot or cold. And when Boogie's good, you know Boogie's good. Now you got AD there, but AD don't like to play the five necessarily. Uh, Le- LeBron is really good at the four. This opens up a whole new conversation. But I think Boogie represents more to them than half a win. Yep, for sure. Uh, best of luck to Boogie Cousins. We'll keep an eye on that. Hopefully, he comes back and can maybe get back some of that money and obviously yep. resume his career. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell on this Friday. Let's go to our guy, Brian Campbell, up in Avon, Connecticut. My old stomping grounds, my old neighbor. Brian, it's good to have you back, man. I'm pumped up to hear from you. UFC 241 in Anaheim, California this weekend. How does this stack up to some of the recent cards we've seen in UFC? You know, this might be the most attractive card of this calendar year. Certainly, we look every year to that first week in July, International Fight Week. Big Super Bowl card. We certainly had one this year with John Jones at the top of it. But when you're looking at this card this weekend, you not only have a heavyweight title rematch with real historical implications in Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic, but you have the return of Nate Diaz. And and Danny and Raja, you know, from a crossover standpoint, that's worth the price of admission unto itself. Three-year break since we've last seen him. And you're looking at a fight with Anthony Pettis that could be banging. Deep card, a lot of big names fired up to check this out. All right, so let's let's take it from the top. The main event, you got Cormier versus Stipe. Uh, Cormier beat him in first-round knockout first time around. Uh, does, does Stipe have a chance in the rematch? Oh, I certainly think he does. Look, the way that first fight ended last year at UFC 226 was really about as surprising an outcome as we could have guessed. Daniel Cormier comes in as the underdog moving up in weight. We thought if he's going to win, he's going to go the distance. He's going to wrestle. He's going to do what he does well with that very thick belly. I said it. Three C's on thick right there. He only, well, what he did is he came out and he outboxed Stipe and he knocked him out in the first round. But in that four minute fight, we saw Stipe do what he does best and land bombs. You have to believe 13 months later, he's going to make the right adjustments to sort of fix the technical mistakes, which opened up the door for DC there. I think we're looking at a much more competitive fight. And really, there's a lot of history at play here. Daniel Cormier is entering a fight against the guy who's considered the most decorated champion in UFC heavyweight history in Miocic, the only man to defend his title three times in a row. If he ends up with two victories against this guy, we could be looking at DC calling him the greatest heavyweight the octagon has ever seen. That might be crazy for most because we think of DC as a light heavyweight. We think of his rivalry with John Jones, but he's 15-0 and as a heavyweight. And outside of that competitive first fight with Miocic, he's dominated every single heavyweight he's went in there against, including former champions like Frank Mir, Josh Barnett, etc. This is a very interesting fight. Should Stipe win? We may end up with a historic trilogy. Should DC win? We're talking about padding even further this all-time great resume. 
So, Brian, I've been accused of being a name dropper around here, but I can't help it if I was in the Atlanta airport and ran across Daniel Comier just walking in there with our boss, Port, and we talked to him for a little bit. Really good dude, so I'm a big fan of his. Very unassuming. Like, you would not know, oh, my gosh, this guy's a UFC right. like champ when you walk by him. But if he does win, what do you think would be more likely, retirement or the John Jones match again? I'm almost going to say a little bit of both. And here's the deal. Cormier is a real competitor, real good dude, humble, but a real competitor. In the history of his career, amateur, professional, has always been sort of second best, right? Going up against the all-time greatest collegiate wrestler in Cale Sanderson six times and coming up empty. Never getting over the hump on the Olympic level because of different situations. Falling short to John Jones twice. Yes, DC is a two-division champion, which is very rare in the UFC. But we all know he didn't go through John Jones to get there. That hunger inside of him at 40 years old is still there burning hot fire. He does not like John Jones. He knows that's the only hole in his resume. That's the only thing he truly wants to go back and repair. And he almost wants to do this harder than it needs to, saying, if I'm going to fight John Jones for a third time, it has to be at 205 pounds, which if you've seen DC lately, he really looks like a heavyweight. So the reason why I say maybe both is I could see him beating Stipe potentially and announcing his retirement. I could also see him being a really smart businessman and behind the scenes trying to figure out what it would take to make this happen. And guys, if we do get Jones DC3, that may end up being the most important fight in UFC history when you consider the legacies at stake. Really, I mean, John Jones is the greatest fighter in history. Daniel Cormier is in that conversation, of course, but should he finally be able to get over that top and beat his biggest rival clean? Wow, this would be pretty wild in terms of how we look at these guys all time. Hey, that's awesome. Let's go to the next the, uh, the next co-main event. So you got Nate Diaz uh, and Anthony Pettis, uh, two opposite ends of the spectrum in recent activity, right? Nate Diaz with a what is it a three a three year layoff, and then Pettis just be Wonder Boy. Like, who do you think has the edge uh, in this fight? It's hard because there's so much celebrity factor in this fight. There's so much potential for action given their styles. Two great lightweights who are taking this fight at welterweight. I know Nate Diaz has those questions of the three-year layoff. What is he going to look like? We haven't seen him since those two record-breaking pay-per-view fights against Conor McGregor. But he's been active in, in his inactivity, if you will. Always doing triathlons, always training younger fighters, always helping his teammates warm up. I think there's just as big a questions coming here for Anthony Pettis. Former lightweight champion, very explosive, very fun. But he's traded wins and losses now going back eight fights. And even though he looked great in knocking out Wonderboy to get this fight, let's not forget, guys, he lost basically every second of that fight before exploding with a highlight reel knockout late. I love this fight for the potential in terms of entertainment, but I certainly love it for Nate Diaz, what it can do for him coming out of here. We know him and Dana White don't really get along. There's a reason why he hasn't fought in three years. He says they always undercut him on the money they offer. They say he all he does is turn down fights. But the real deal is this. Nate Diaz is like the greatest counterculture anti-hero this sport has ever seen. He's the realist, as they say. <laughs> Fans flock to where he goes. Should he beat Anthony Pettis here and revive that brand? He could almost pick what he wanted. A trilogy with Connor, maybe a lightweight title shot with Habib Nurmagomedov, maybe a welterweight title shot. If UFC can wake up and realize how much people love this guy, maybe he's hard to deal with. Yeah, both Diaz brothers are hard to deal with. So are talented people in general. I'm sure when Danny goes to the contract negotiation window, he might be hard to deal with too. But the deal is, you sign these people up, you put them in there, they draw eyeballs. I like Nate Diaz to win this fight. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I want to see where he's going next after this. 
Next time I go up to uh, the CBS offices here at CBS Sports HQ, I'm going to walk in with a giant blunt and see how that works out. The way Nate Diaz did it, his open workout. He comes out there smoking his big fatty. He says it was CBD, did not hide the facts that he's going to have a real one with the good stuff after the fight. How surreal was this to watch this unfold? This was like the most gangster move we've ever seen, and I say that positively. Nate Diaz doesn't fool around. He's so on brand at all times. He doesn't compromise his beliefs ever. How many times have we seen him in public situations slapping another fighter, almost getting into a fight? The fact that he built his brand up after Conor McGregor and then sat out three years, mostly on his own doing, shows you he's not about the money. He's not about the fanfare. He's about being real and getting there and fighting. The fact that he lit up, and then had the sense of mind to puff, puff, give. Is that what we say? I'm not, <laughs> yep. I'm not up to the lingo anymore since, since the collegiate days. But that was a pretty cool moment. You're never going to see anything better than that. Brian Campbell bringing the heat as always. Appreciate the time, man. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the, the card. Thank you, guys. All right. Good stuff. Is that what you say? For UFC, you the card. Yeah, I mean, kind of. That's right. I, I was trying to sound cool. <laughs> All right, we are going to. Uh, we're going to get back to something we did a while ago. Yeah, we're going to answer some of the people's questions. Welcome back to Canelo Bell on this Friday. Uh, we don't do a ton of politics, but when they do cross over uh, sports and politics to some extent, yeah. uh, we discuss them. Uh, this was a couple days ago. We saw Jay Z and Rock Nation partnered with the NFL. Uh, Jay Z took a ton of flack. Mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed, some of the players called him a sellout. That was kind of the biggest outcry was. Did Cap call him? Cap called him? I don't know if he directly called him a sellout. Maybe Joey can help us out on that one. But there was, there was a lot of outcry saying, right. how could you do this? Cap isn't playing. He still doesn't have a job and you're going to partner with them. It, um, it wasn't, it, uh, Cap didn't directly call him a sellout. Eric Reed did and Cap yeah. then sort of tweeted you're his my guy. appreciation for Reed's comment. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, did you have any problem with Jay Z partnering with the NFL? No. Um, I, I didn't, but I don't know that if you're Jay-Z, you get to just say this is to further the cause. Like, I don't, I don't know that you can do that, right? Like there is a huge financial windfall. You're partnering with a, a brand that prints money. Um, and so I think it's, if you want to further the conversation that Cap and, and those guys started, uh, that's great. But I don't think that you get to say that's your only reasoning for partnering with the, the NFL. If he said that, right. I think he's trying to hide and deflect a little bit, um, by using that. Like, look, this is, you know, and, and I agree with him. This, you know, for Cap to take the stance that he took, whether people like it or not, you've got to be willing to sacrifice your job. Like, because you're trying to bring a greater awareness to something that you think is bigger than that. And he, he's done that. And now it is time to further the, 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 the effort, right? And it's time to move off of that platform and figure out how you do make it, you know, an actionable thing. So I agree with, with Jay-Z and all of those, uh, in, in all of those areas. I, I just don't think that, that you can leave out the fact that you're going to make a boatload of cash in the same, in this, in, in the same deal. For sure. I mean? I, I mean, I think clearly the big winner in this is the NFL. The NFL yeah. has always been seen as stodgy old white guys out of touch with today's culture. Um, it's a huge win for Roger Goodell mm-hmm. to be able to have this partnership. Jay Z, I don't, I don't know if he underestimated some of the backlash he would get. I don't think it's going to impact his record sales or no. anything else. Um, but the thing I can appreciate about this is it does take somebody, just like it took Colin Kaepernick to think outside the box and do something that was really hard to do. I mean, Jay Z had to know some people wouldn't be happy with this and he had to kind of step across the aisle, so to speak, right. and say, Hey, the NFL isn't all bad. Maybe I can use some of my influence to do some good. Sure. And now, by the way, he's going to make a lot of money off of this. But I do think there was some intentions of, well, let's see what we can do. And 
all we've heard about with the NFL is, you know, it's an old white man's club, which it is. Most of the owners are, there's a couple female owners, you but got, most of them are. got to get in the club. Exactly. And now he's club. a part of the club. Now he's a voice in the club. Now, right. let's see. Let's see some action. Well, the proof is in thing. the pudding. Exactly. Bro. That's Let's what it see is, right? some of these programs they're talking about. Let's see what influence Jay Z is going to have right. outside of Super Bowl halftime entertainment. Right. Like, I don't care about. That. I want to see what he does to get some of the message out to our youth and to try to stop police brutality and some of the other things that Colin Kaepernick said he wanted to accomplish. I, I guess my my thing would be um, we all rush to these like snap judgments, like an on the spot judgments, without really giving it much thought or letting things play out. Right. right? And I'm guilty of that. And this one, like, I, I think, you know, you got to let it play out to see if he's, yep. you know, if you're taking what he says, you know, seriously, let, let's watch and see. You, you did what you did. Like, you got the platform now. Uh, you're going to affect change. Let's do it. I, I never, like I said, bro, I ain't never count another man's money. So, like, right. you got a sweet deal. Yeah. You can make the bread, like, and, you know, your blue chip stocks, like, NFL is one of them. So, go do your thing. But let's see if you do what you say you're going to do. And if you do, kudos to you. I did see some people speculating, and I don't know how this is a negative thing, that, Jay-Z and Rock Nation could maybe this is the future NFL owner that the NFL has been wanting okay. a minority, which would be awesome. Yep. Like, and if that's the first step in getting yeah. that done, then that's great. All right, let's have some fun. Uh, it is Friday. We're going to start a new thing. Ask us anything on Friday. Yeah. We're trying to do the five-star reviews. Maybe we get to that. It's really complicated to do the five-star review. I can't even find how to uh, review the things on uh, iTunes. But that being said, we put it out there. Ask us anything off the rails, football, basketball, anywhere you want to go. Start it off with a really serious one, okay? Right. So I hate to bring it down like this. Chick-fil-A or Popeyes? I don't eat chicken. <laughs> so you but, but, I don't eat chicken. Did you see but, Chick-fil-A has a mac and cheese? They're going to put out a mac and cheese either. What, what do you what do you eat? I my don't question. eat a lot. So you don't, I don't eat, eat any of those. Eat, I don't eat fish, I don't eat chicken, I don't eat cheese unless it's on pizza. Um but uh, I don't know. The list goes so on Chick- and on. Just, I will say Chick-fil-A and I don't think it's close. I don't have a lot of Popeyes. The last time I had Popeyes was they had it for the Denver Broncos. It was our Friday post Friday practice meal. Right. It was either pizza or spicy chicken from Popeyes. Yeah. And that, that chicken was awesome. Hey, listen. I usually get both and have a little bit of both. I actually, yeah, that's the perfect world, right? Yeah. I judge things based off of their fries. Right, because that's right. what I get. Right, so for that reason, I'll say Chick Fil A plus yes. the waffle fries. They yeah, waffle fries good. are banging with a little bit of ketchup, and yep. then but Popeye's got biscuits though, right? Yeah, Popeyes. it's a tough call, man. It's tough. You can't win if you don't eat chicken. I'd rather go Chick Fil A. That's true, 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 true. Uh, here's one from the Brad at Tribe Fan, Tribe Fan seventy four. Love the show, and you two are great together. Who would each of you choose as the ultimate guest host if the other had a day off? Yeah. All right. That's, <laughs> that's an easy good one. one. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, but my man Gene Durkag. Oh yeah? Yeah. Like he's nice. like you but better. Oh <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna walk off the set. It's the thing that we do right now. My man Gene better than me. All right. I'm no, gonna say I want Kobe. <laughs> I want Kobe in here to, to be my co host the next time because he's better. That was a low blow. You know who I would love? Oh. Tommy Tran. Yeah, yeah, our guy time or David Sampson. Yeah, bro, come on, man, that's supposed to be. No, I like, I, I I don't know. (laughs) You know what? Real talk. So hard enough job to do, bro. Hey, when we took this job, yeah. Poor, I mean, I don't know that the fan ass, they don't care, but when I took the job, I was like, yeah, I'll try it. Right. Like just thinking I'm going to come in and sit at the mic and talk. Right. It's a lot harder than, <laughs> harder right. than it sounds. You know what I mean? Seriously, like if you looked at Pantheon of great, like I would say Howard Stern, like, you yeah, know, like sure, 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 being sure. with one of those icons of industry, that would be pretty cool. Uh, here's a good one from David Stennis at David Stennis 37 mm-hmm. over under on how many episodes before Canel and Bell gets canceled. Ooh. <laughs> How many are we at right now? Well, I was, we're over 300. I put it at six and a half. Hopefully we'll make it over that there one. There we go. Uh, Chris Lapel, uh-huh. uh, on Twitter, opiates or THC? 
<laughs> I think I get a, I get so many trolls. Yeah. This one was because of the marijuana conversation yeah. we had a while ago. Um, if I was in a situation where I was coming off a major surgery yeah. and I need some painkillers, I probably would use opiates. I've taken them in the past, yeah. took them as prescribed. They were good for me. I, <laughs> so that's I had, just me. I had a major wrist surgery. Yeah. Um, and, and I enjoyed one here and there, like to, to dull the pain. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. generally speaking. Right. Like Everybody THC. has their own thing, right? Just everything in moderation is my thing. Yeah. Everything in moderation right. would be my thing. Right. Uh, at the uh, the Clemson dude at all in underscore dude, uh, Clemson will run the table and win the national championship. Yes or no? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think so too. Their schedule is a cakewalk, favored by seventeen in every single game. Uh, I would say yes as well. And next week, by the way, we're going to start our college football with Miami, Florida coming up next week. We finally get college football. We're going to take a conference every single day of the week next week and break those down. Uh, ACC and, and a debate on and a Tuesday. Debate. Yeah, wait. like a presidential, presidential debate. We have to wear suits and, and stuff for sure. Uh, my man Randy Scott said, who squats more? You or an injured Ryan Rosillo, my old uh, co-host at ESPN yeah. Radio. I would say Rosillo. The dude, he does not skip leg day. Really? I, I don't even think I've done leg day. In like, He's a workout guy? Oh, like a meathead. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah meathead. Big time meathead. Uh, Matt, most, no knock. Most athletic position group in sports. So you got options. Basketball guards, DBs, outfielders, anywhere you want to go. Apparently, this is a 20-year beef between AJ and at Baron underscore 40. I think it's, uh, this is a nuanced conversation. Yes, it is. Um, Because basketball is way more skilled. There are a lot of football players they can't really play basketball because of the fine motor skills that are required to do that and baseball as well. Yep. But generally speaking, I think DBs are the most like purely speed, vertical, lateral. I think they're the best athletes. I think so. But although when I think of basketball guards, I think of Russell Westbrook. Oh, there's some basketball him, guards. That... But like as a, an entirety, the way they put those guys in an island. Uh-huh. Uh, Raja, will you ever get back in NBA management? Sons, question mark, hint, hint. Oh, oh you know, oh, I mean, my man, fun. James Jones is the, uh, is the GM out there, man. Is he the president? I don't know what he is. Um, nah, my kid, maybe my kids are so young right now that that's, that's like, this is, this is good for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good stuff, man. Yeah. I love Great the questions. questions. Fun to be back on Friday. Have a good weekend. See you Monday. <laughs>